0: The first reading is from Colossians, the first chapter. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Colossians, the first chapter. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. This is the word of the Lord. The theme
1: of these five Lenten sermons is the fellowship of the cross. And the purpose of these five sermons is to help us to understand more clearly what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a church, what it means to be a congregation. So I want to describe a congregation as a fellowship of the cross. That it's the cross of Jesus Christ that brings us together as a congregation, we are cross-centered. And we are Christ-centered. We are the fellowship of the cross. Two weeks ago, the theme of the fellowship of the cross was that Jesus chose the cross. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it up freely. He decided to go to the cross for our, for our benefit. He chose to do it. Last week, We we consider the fact that we boast about the cross. We're not ashamed of the cross. We're not embarrassed by the cross. And I've asked you to wear crosses. This cross that I'm wearing tonight was given to me when we were in Indonesia. This is called a dancing cross. I don't know why anymore. But it is on the official seal of the Protestant Christian Church in Bali. And it was given to us when we finished our ministry there. And the theme last last week was, we are not ashamed of the cross. And we're not ashamed to say we need what the cross brings us, which is forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. We have the fellowship of the cross. And tonight, the theme is the power. The power of the cross. Now, we all know the song. There is power. Power. Do you know the song? Wonder-working power. There is power in the blood of the Lamb, and when you talk about the blood of Christ, you talk about the church. You talk about the cross. You talk about the cross. You talk about the blood of Christ, because they come together. They're interchangeable. We can have slide five now. Uh, my, we're having. There we go. Back to slide five, and these two themes of the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ are brought together here. Um keep going. One more? Here. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is to say, part of the power is the cross, is to make peace between people and God. And it's a peace that God goes because God reconciles uh, to reconcile to himself all things. That is, the cross was God's initiative. My friends, you know this. The problem is always sin in humanity's relationship with God. And we can't solve that problem. We cannot be reconciled to God. So God brought about reconciliation through the cross. Now, tonight we're going to find a number number of words used to describe Christianity and what the cross does. And the first of those words is reconcile. Reconcile is a word that comes from accounting. When when an, an accountant reconciles his books, he brings peace to them. As long as the books are not balanced, they're fighting with one another. And then they balance. And there is reconciliation. And when we are reconciled with God, there is peace between us and God. Whether you know it or not, we need that peace. And that peace comes to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. He reconciled himself whether on heaven and Earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now how did that work? Well, here's another reading from Colossians. that's wonderful. It's another picture. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him, with Jesus. When He forgave us all our trespasses, I'll get this word erasing. Erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, we've all talked heard about when you're going to go to heaven, they're going to open the books, right? <laughs> well, for us, when they open the books, our pages have been erased. There's nothing in the books to accuse us. Because by the blood of Christ, every sin that we have committed that was in the book has been erased. And the page, really, the page is no longer there. For he said, erasing the record that stood against us with his legal demands, he set this aside, look, get this, nailing it to the cross. You can imagine a document where all of our sins are written down, Jesus took that document for you and for me, and he put it on the cross, and he nailed it to the cross. And it's done away with. And the bottom line is, through the cross, as far as God is concerned, our sins don't matter. You have to think about that. Our sins, they don't matter to God. Now imagine that you've had two speeding tickets. I know nobody would do that. (laughs) And the idea is that if you get one more speeding ticket, you lose your license. And you get a third speeding ticket. And you go to the judge, and he said, well, you've got a third speeding ticket, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're behind on your house payment, and the bank says, oh... It doesn't matter. You overcharge your credit card. And the credit card, somebody says, oh, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Well, through the blood of Christ, our sins don't matter to God. He doesn't hold them against them. He doesn't count them. Another word from from accounting. He doesn't count our sins against us. Listen to this. In Christ, God was reconciling. There's that word again. God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. That is to Paul and Barnabas and so forth. And the fundamental message of any church, of this church, before you do anything else, is the message of reconciliation. Because that's what the cross brought to us. Whatever else we do as this congregation, the message of reconciliation between God and man, that must be central. You can't be a Christian unless you understand you need the forgiveness of your sins. You can't be a Christian unless you understand that reconciliation between you and God is possible only through the cross. And that is true for us who are part of the fellowship of the cross. Now I want to say all of this a different way. I want to say that that the power of the cross is to turn sinners into saints. The power of the cross is to turn sinners into saints. And the fellowship of the cross is made up of saints. I've told you that from time to time you're going to hear something from me that you don't usually hear from Lutheran pastors, right? Did I warn you about that before? Well, I'm warning you about it again. What I'm going to tell you, you probably never heard before. But as I've thought about the Christian faith and I've thought about the, the, the good news, I share this because I think it's exactly, exactly the good news. And here's, here's what I want to say to you this evening. I'm tired of telling people that they are sinners. I've not done it for some time to tell people, You're sinners. We were in a church last Sunday, and the pastor said, well, you know, we're all sinners. And I wanted to jump up and say, no, we're not. (laughs) We're not sinners. We're saints. That's really what we are. People who are part of the fellowship of the cross are not sinners. We're saints. Now, if I call you a sinner, I give you a label. I pin a label on you. Here's a, see, that says, it says, see, sinner, right? All right, so. <laughs> now, how do you feel? See, I put a label on him. But that's the kind, not the kind of label we have. That's not the kind of label that is for Christians. Now, give me the other slide. And, and there are lots of places where you can look at that, but here from Colossians. Keep
0: going.
1: <laughs> oh, went, went too far. I'm sorry. Now here. Verse 13 from Colossians. He has delivered us from the kingdom of, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. That is to say that That through the cross, we've been moved from one jurisdiction to another. Before we became Christians, before we were baptized, we were in the kingdom of darkness. But once you come to Christ and give your life to Christ, indeed once you're baptized, you're moved to another kingdom. We live in the kingdom of his beloved son, and there are no sinners in the kingdom of his beloved son. No, no. So that's the wrong label. So we've got another one for you. What does that says? It says, no, I take this one away. Saint. You see, I, I don't want to tell people that they're sinners. Because we're not. Now, some of you may know that Martin Luther had this wonderful idea that we are at the same time saints and sinners. How many of you have ever heard of that? Well, you all know that, right? The Latin was simul justus et peccator. Here is how the church has dealt with Martin Luther. At the same time, you're saints
0: and you're sinners!
1: <laughs> and that's what the church has done with Martin Luther. I'm just tired of telling people they're sinners because we're not. We're saints. Think of of this. When St. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he didn't write to all the sinners who were in Ephesus. He wrote to all the saints. And when St. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he didn't write to all the sinners in Philippi, he wrote to all the saints. And even when he wrote to the church in Corinth, the church in Corinth was so corrupt, there was so much evil going on in there, that if it were a Lutheran church today, the bishop would come and close it down. (laughs) There was all kinds of terrible, terrible things going on in that church. Nevertheless, when St. Paul wrote to those folks, he called them saints. To the saints who are in Corinth. So we are... We are saints, but we are saints who sin. The effects of the domain of darkness still have some power over us. And while we are saints, we sin. Now, this is not a very good example, but it'll help you understand. My my dad was born in Norway in 1903. He would have been 113 this year. My dad left Norway and came to America in about 1920. In the 1940s, my dad became a citizen of this country. He left one kingdom, one government, and went to another one. My dad was a proud, proud American. But when you talk to him, and when you listen to him, you knew that the old country was still on his lips because he still had that Norwegian twang or whatever it is, right? So when he talked about the television, the TV, he called it the Tiwi. (laughs) We're going to watch the Tiwi. Well, yes, I guess so. He couldn't say the V sound, because the old country still had a grip on his pronunciation. Now, that wasn't a sin. But what's true for you and me is that that the dominion of darkness still has some power over us and we are we are saints but we sin but that's no reason to give ourselves the label sinner think how powerful labels are sometimes children get labeled when they're very young you're ugly you're dumb, you're stupid, you're no good. There are children who hear things like that. And they're scarred by those labels for life, right? Because if mama thinks I'm dumb, and mama is a smart lady and knows everybody, I must be dumb. So I better act dumb. And if my dad thinks I'm lazy, and my dad knows everything, then I must be lazy, and I must act that way. And if my pastor tells me that I'm a sinner, he knows everything, doesn't he? Well, no. But if my pastor tells me I'm a sinner, I have to act that way. And if I call you a sinner, I simply give you a reason to keep on sinning. Make sense? Now, I give this young man the title of saint. (laughs) Wow. Now, if I give you the label saint, that calls you to a higher level of conduct. It sets a higher standard for you, for all of us, because we're members of the Fellowship of the Cross and we're all saints, and that calls us to a a higher standard of conduct, higher morals and, and values than exists here. We want to live our lives in such a way that they please God. But we know we don't, but we want to. We really do want our lives to reflect Christian values. We really want our lives to reflect the values of Jesus Christ. Don't we? We want to be that way. We want to make the Savior happy. We want to please him. We do. But we don't we don't and i for one feel bad about that that i fall short my life doesn't reflect completely what it should be even though i do live in the kingdom of his of his beloved son so we need we need to have confession we do that we do that weekly in the church and now this is another thing that you're not going to hear from lutheran pastors okay you got your hymnals there Okay, let's turn. Let's turn to page fifty six. This is the confession of sins we've used we've used for a long time. I have problems with it. It begins, Most Merciful God, we confess that we're in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. Now, if you feel that way, what should be the next thing you ask God to do? Free us! That's not in here. It doesn't say free us from bondage. All right, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. That's right. What we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, no. We have loved God with some of our heart, haven't we? We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We No, that's not true. This church is trying very hard to love its neighbors. And you and I are trying very hard to love our neighbors too. Aren't we? Yes. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of the holy name. Amen. All right, so you pray that. Now you come back next week. In those seven days, what has changed in your life? Nothing. Because you pray the same prayer all over again. Nothing has changed. So you do this for a year. And what has changed in your life? According to this, nothing. It's like a dog chasing his tail. Can you see that? You see how there is no progress in this? And therefore, I've written a couple of um, confessions for the church. I have to tell you that, that uh, in two churches where I served as an interim, uh, we used this. And then when the pastor came, he dumped it. <laughs> He's allowed to do that. Here's the first one. Heavenly Father, while I know that I am your child... oh. I am one of the redeemed and a saint. And while I rejoice that the Holy Spirit has given me victories in the sin of, over the sin of my life, I acknowledge that I have been disobedient in thought and word and deed. And so now, claiming the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, I humbly ask for the forgiveness of my sins and the full restoration of fellowship with you, that the joy of my salvation may be renewed, I also ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit who will walk with me this week in paths of righteousness and obedience and may make my walk with you both intimate and obedient. Celebrate the victories and confess the defeats. Here's the other one. Almighty God, you have given us new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have enabled us to overcome temptations. Is that true? Yeah. We have not overcome all of them, but we have overcome some of them. Is that true? By your power. We have been victorious over them. You have given us victories over shortness of temper. <laughs> my life has been transformed because I got my temper under control about 20 years ago. It's been wonderful. Shortness of temper. Lovelessness. Impatience. Jealousy. Lust. Greed. Greed foul language, laziness, and sins known only to us and to you. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit which enables us to be changed from one degree of glory to another. That's the goal of the Christian life, to be changed, to be changed, to be changed, to grow. It's called sanctification. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to be changed from one degree of glory to another. And we pray that we might continue to be open to the Holy Spirit so that victories over sin and temptation are more and more evident in our lives. That's what we want. Victories over sin and victories over temptation are more and more common in our lives as we grow in grace. And it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray and give you thanks. Amen. That, it seems to me, is the kind of prayer a saint prays. A saint who knows that he has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, born again, child of God, wants to please God in every way, but falls short, but gives thanks for the victories. You see, in our confessions of sins, we don't thank God for the good stuff. We just beat ourselves up over the bad stuff. And that's wrong. To me, that's the kind of confession that people in the fellowship of the cross pray. And we are in the fellowship of the cross. Saints who sin. That's what we are. I love this old saying. I'm not what I should be. And I'm not what I'm going to be. But thank God Almighty, I'm not what I
0: was.
1: (laughs) And that's the prayer prayed by people who are in the fellowship of the cross. Amen. Amen.